0: Welcome to The Palace Perspective, brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a wealth management firm specializing in custom estate, financial and tax solutions that others often miss.
1: Welcome to The Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I'm your host, James Landry, and I'm so glad you chose to listen in to us today. Today we're going to talk about a couple issues. One is an important estate planning strategy for couples. And the other issue is we're going to revisit retirement plan catch-up contributions. That if you've been following our newsletter, we addressed back in August, and there have been some changes there. So we want to bring those to your attention. We're really going to need some help to do that today. So joining me once again is my colleague to my left here, Shannon Smith, CFP, who's the director of planning for the Colin financial planning team. Uh, Shannon, welcome back to The Pal's Perspective.
2: Thank you for having me, James.
1: Yeah, good to have you here. So Shannon, back in late 2022, the laws changed again, specifically, well, a lot of them did, but specifically to us, and our conversation Mm -hmm. today is what we call Secure 2.0. One that that affected many areas, and some of them are going to be changed over a couple years here, a transition Mm -hmm. process. But one area we wrote on in the August newsletter was the uh, um, area of retirement plan catch-up contributions. So I'm over age 50, which means that in my 401k, I can contribute an extra $7,500 here in 2023 to my 401k over and above Mm -hmm. the normal retirement plan limits. And part of Secure 2.0 was to change that retirement plan contribution rule a little bit. So can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. The change was that you can still make that catch-up contribution, but for high-wage earners, you actually cannot make it as a tax-deductible contribution. It has to be a Roth contribution. So what is a high-wage earner, according to the IRS, is $145,000. So if you make more than $145,000 when secure to a all in place, you would have to make any of your catch-ups Roth or post-tax contributions. And really, why? Because the IRS wants more revenue.
1: Okay, yeah. So,
2: you know, they, and that's 7,500 per person that gets added to the income that they get taxed.
1: Okay, so... In other words, um, those are after-tax contribution dollars, so I'm not going to be able to defer like $7,500 into my as a catch-up contribution. Yeah. You know, that seems to me, if I'm a 401k plan provider, some administrative headache to kind of reset that for all my plans, and I could have thousands of employers. that so This affects the employers themselves have to reset these on their systems. And so there was a lot of confusion. Was, okay, how are they going to do this in time? To meet the rule which by the way that starts in 2024 it was based on if you had over one hundred forty five thousand this year in 2023 mm-hmm. um so everyone's scrambling to get this done and then there was some confusion i i understand in the irs uh, how it's going to enforce the regulation itself or the, the law itself so they've given us a little bit of a reprieve here
2: Well, yes they did not actually think about the logistics of it actually getting enforced and how as you said 401k plan administration take you know, keep track of it all. So the reprieve is until 2026.
1: Okay. So we have a couple more but years where still... those catch up contributions can still be pre tax dollars. Yep. Okay. Uh, you know, a Roth IRA is not the end of the world, a Roth 401k, right?
2: No, by no means. See, yeah. Definitely. It should not, depending on your situation. But it shouldn't be a reason you're like, I'm definitely not contributing in it right. anymore. Yeah. There's definitely pros to having Roth money.
1: Do you typically counsel, you know, individuals to say, Hey, spread it out maybe a little bit into pre-tax, a little bit into post tax?
2: That's a common okay. actually, recommendation yeah. of you know, highway generators do 50, 50. Cause really what you're doing is you're diversifying the tax bucket that you're taking money out of later. Yeah. Who knows where taxes are going to be when you're retired. Right. Especially you're on the younger side. You literally, you're trying to tell the future of what it, right. the world's going to look like right. in 20, 30 years. And you have no idea. Right. You know, historically we actually are at pretty low tax rates. So even though you might have be one of the high, you know, at the highest tax bracket, you could have a higher tax bracket when you are retired. Maybe your income's lower, but you still could be at the same tax bracket in retirement. You just yeah. don't know.
1: My income probably will be lower in retirement, but tax brackets could be higher. Just exactly. You could change you just that. just have no idea. So right. it's nice
2: to have both options of assets to take money from. Okay. You know, Roth assets, it's the only asset you can really create that's going to be tax free forever. Yeah. Tax deferred, and all, you know, money you take out is tax free. Yep. So.
1: Okay, so a little reprieve here, a couple more years before mm-hmm. they implement that requirement. Um, so in the meantime, if you want to do a new catch-up contribution, you have to be age 50 or older, you can do that with pre-tax dollars. But starting in 2026, it'll have to be into post-tax or Roth-type accounts. If you
2: make more than $145,000. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I imagine $145,000 is indexed to inflation. So every year, I'd be looking at what that limit is. Okay.
2: They're going to change that.
1: Okay, so let's shift gears, thanks, Shannon, uh, to estate planning. Yeah, when it comes to gifting from one generation down to the next generation, there are some limits that the IRS has put in place uh, with regard to gifting. Talk to us about that.
2: Unfortunately, you can't just start giving money away to whoever you want, however much you want, just to reduce your taxable estate. Mm. So there's a couple of different ways to do that. There's The simplest way, it's called the annual basic exclusion amount, mm-hmm. which means you can give $17,000 to anyone you'd like to. Okay. Anyone walking down the street and give them $17,000 and it'll never chip away at your lifetime right. gift exemption right. amount. Right. So what's the lifetime gift exemption amount? Right now it is $12.92 million. So you you give that $17,000 to whoever you want. You're never chipping away at that 12.92. Okay. But, and I said right now it's 12.92. That. Interestingly enough, so back in 2017, it used to be $5.5 million. Okay. And then came along uh, the Tax Cuts and Job Act in 2018. And that bumped it all the way up to $11 million. Okay. That's been adjusted for inflation, hence our nine, 12.92. The Tax Cuts and Job Act is set to sunset at the end of 2025, which means it's going to roll back to the rules of 2017 also indexed for inflation. So that number is not going to be 5.5. It'll probably go roll back to roughly about $7 million. Yeah, about seven so million. $7 million exemption yeah. proportion um is expected January 1st of 2026.
1: But it basically cut in half.
2: Basically. Okay. okay.
1: So if, if I'm thinking about uh, transferring um, assets to my children or grandchildren, um, I have a window of opportunity here. Um, certainly if I'm uber wealthy yeah. that could partially close. Closing. Yeah, it's closing. Okay. So that, that's the planning opportunity. So let's talk about, we wrote about this in um, this month's financial planning newsletter mm-hmm. about a strategy that couples are using that allows them to have some comfort or uh, put a little comfort level to the fact that they're giving away you know, significant. And when you're getting into basic exclusion amounts, you're talking about significant you know, transfers of wealth. So in your opinion, what are the key advantages and disadvantages of making substantial lifetime gifts in the current tax environment down a generation? What are those advantages? Let's start with advantages.
2: Simply enough, I mean, obviously one of the advantages is starting to get money out of your estate.
1: Okay. You know, you're reducing your
2: taxable estate. Okay. Everything currently over that 12.92 gets taxed at federal estate tax bracket, talking about 40%. Okay significant amounts you know if you can keep your estate another 12.92 per person mind you mm-hmm. so for a married couple it's a significant amount of money mm-hmm. that you can gift so the advantages of planning are just starting to get money out of your estate simply enough yep. disadvantages are la- lack of control lack of access okay you know you start giving money away you've given it away. That's, you know, it's in the title. Yeah. And that lack of access tends to be, you know, a deterrent that you really want to do a lot of planning and thought about of, is this right for you in your situation? And is this something you do want to do for the next generation? Now, some people may not want to, or might want to skip generations. So there's a lot of, right. Concepts to think about, and the planning family dynamics right. too, before you start really giving away large sums of money.
1: Yeah, this the big one. You know what I found with with clients is that have never done significant gifting before is they want to tip their toe into the water, so mm-hmm. to speak, and uh, see how they feel. You know, whether you're re- you're worth five million dollars or fifteen million dollars or a hundred million dollars, when you start talking about giving away chunks of your wealth, you know, so do, am I going to need this later? Yeah. Right. And so, so enter the concept of what we call the spousal lifetime access trust. And so, by saying that, I'm talking about a married couple, right? And tell me, as if, if simply as you can, briefly as you can, what is this spousal lifetime access trust?
2: So, a spousal lifetime access trust, um, also called a SLAT, is a way to give an irrevocable gift from one spouse to the other. Okay. So, this is the uh, grant or the uh, donor spouse gives it to the other spouse to have access to
1: gives it to a trust but
2: you've given it in this trust they slat and you no longer have access to it okay but the spouse has access to it if they need to for basic health care maintenance support
1: but structure properly that trust for the benefit of my spouse can remove that asset from my taxable estate and from my spouse's taxable estate.
2: That's exactly the purpose of what you do. It has to be structured, right. That to be able to be out of your estate. And that's why you have to lose that control and give it to your spouse. Cause once you, if you retain too much control, it's still part of your estate.
1: Yeah. So um, if I can, if I can give significant assets into a trust like this for the benefit of my spouse and, you know, maybe I still have 15, 20 years left of, of life expectancy, so potential for those assets to grow dramatically, right? And all that growth Certainly. now avoids yeah. future estate tax.
2: So you're talking, I mean, if you're at a level, let's say your you know, estate's worth $50 million, you put in 10, that could be worth 20 $30, 40000000 and all, all of that right. is outside of your estate.
1: Okay. So what are some considerations, though, uh, for spouses to have before they would enter into such an arrangement?
2: We always recommend before you start doing any gifting like that is to first really make sure you can truly afford it okay you really want to make sure that you can live without this asset because yes there's a backdoor way to get it through your spouse
1: yeah okay
2: but stuff happens we know that yeah <laughs> life happens yeah yeah unfortunately divorce death and that can limit how you now access this trust all
1: right so let's just kind of follow the bouncing dollar here for a second if i can use an example yeah. Uh, let's say you're married, right? I am and you set up a trust for the benefit of your husband. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you were to gift, say, five million dollars into that trust. Mm-hmm. That asset is no longer yours. Not
2: mine. I gave it to him. And I it's was not, very generous, wasn't I? Yeah,
1: yeah. Does he know about
2: that? Well,
1: anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So you you put that in the trust. He's no longer he doesn't control the asset either. He's a beneficiary mm-hmm. of the trust, but the trustee can make distributions to him. And since you're married to him, indirectly you have uh, access to the assets in that trust.
2: Yeah, I would hope if we needed the money and he went to access it, you know, I right he'd share it with me. Right.
1: (laughs) But structured correctly, again, those assets are out of both of your estates. Mm -hmm. Right. And ultimately, if both of you pass away, those assets are in a trust for the benefit of your children, future children, grandchildren, and so forth. So
2: the goal is to never touch that money. You would have put it in if you really planned on touching it because you already took away mm-hmm. your you know you ate away at your lifetime gift exemption so once you go into that yeah you've wasted that gift
1: so what 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 if your husband passes away in the wrong order so he he dies before you do well, that would and what happens to your access to that Yes, that's
2: sad yes but also um you no longer have access because that was your backdoor way into that money okay you know so what a way to protect against that is life insurance you know, you get life insurance on well, your his house. life,
1: okay, Own in a trust. Cover. I assume exactly. Right. Keep it
2: out of the estate as well,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, just to cover the amount that you might have needed access right. to. So now you have full liquidity. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, of course, in today's day and age, couples have to really seriously consider the likelihood that there could be a divorce. Mm-hmm. Now, that's be, being practical here. When you're talking to couples about this type of planning, in most cases, not all, there's certainly exceptions, but in most cases, you're talking about couples that have been married for a good amount of time because usually they're older, they've accumulated this kind of wealth. You know, oftentimes you'll hear the rejoinder, well, that would never happen. And, you know, you say, yes, I hope so. I'm 100% with you. But you always wanted the couples to think about the what ifs, right? And so what if in addition to or in place of just a straight gift, you were to transfer assets into that slat? maybe take back a note. Can you talk that's about that? That's a great that? That way to
2: have access to it. So, you know, to your point, we don't like to plan for rainy days, such mm-hmm. as divorce, but that's our job is to literally plan for every scenario mm-hmm. and bring up even the sad scenarios, of potentially to divorce. So what's a way that you can still get assets out of the estate and use this spousal lifetime access trust without you know, without having to worry about the divorce, is taking a note. And what is that? You're basically lending the trust is borrowing the money from you. And that or
1: selling it you. to exactly. the trust, right, yeah. right. so that
2: trust now owes you right. the money back.
1: Okay, yeah.
2: And that's um, set at an interest rate by the government. Yeah. And you um could sue, depends on the circumstances, you can forgive that note, you can Right. Um, Get the
1: note. So in other words, even if my spouse were to pass away prematurely or if there was a divorce, I'd still hold back that note from the trust. And with I imagine, value, you, yeah.
2: you put in $5 million and the trust owes you.
1: Yeah. So I imagine, you know, in any of these types of arrangements, it has to be um, set up formally. So if there's a note between me and a trust, it actually has to be a real note. In other right. words, the IRS may not respect a transaction I have with a trust that I've set up if I don't go through all the formalities, right? Oh, of course, it's okay. not just,
2: you know, back of the envelope, yeah. I owe you. And um, it's something that needs to be tracked and the interest yeah. payments, just yeah. monitor it. And um, you can decide, it just kind of gives you an access point mm-hmm. to the trust, yeah. but it's also, it does limit how much you get taken outside of your estate though.
1: Okay, great.
2: So there's something to take into consideration of, of why you may want to forgive the note at some point yeah. to keep those assets outside of your estate. Or, um, but at least the growth mm-hmm. after that note, is still outside of the estate. So it still has a powerful purpose.
1: So the Spousal Lifetime Access Trust, a pretty common strategy for married couples to employ is, for sure. um, when they have um, estate tax liquidity goals, right? Obviously, we're not talking about a couple that has perhaps just a million dollar net worth. We're talking about high net worth individuals. Yeah. Before we close Shannon I wanted to in the same context of mm-hmm. estate planning there's been a recent change in Massachusetts on the estate tax laws. yes and so I know not all of our listeners are sitting in Massachusetts but there are a handful of states that in addition to the federal state tax also have to deal with a state inheritance or state estate tax and for well over 2 decades now in Massachusetts it not moved. yeah it has not moved we have you said the basic exemption amount or exclusion amount at federal level is 12 million nine twenty. In Massachusetts, it was one million. And um the thing about that, it was there was this cliff tax. So in other words, once you went a dollar over that million, they taxed you back to dollar one on a tiered basis. But the Massachusetts state tax is 16. So fast forward to 2023, October 4th. Mm-hmm. Governor Healy signed into law change. So now where are we there?
2: We're now at two million dollars. Yeah. Which is a significant move. Right. You know, married couples, you went from two million to four million.
1: Yep.
2: You know, and just with the growth of net worth in general in Massachusetts, yeah. it really opens up the planning world yeah. for and the tax world for a lot of Massachusetts residents. And I should point sure. out
1: you said married couples went from two to four. Yeah, it's per individual, yeah. right? So yeah, two to four. And so for people that live in our state, right? It makes sense to sit down with your financial advisor and say, "Hey, I'm look, set. do my documents need to need to be looked at again?" As a matter of fact, some of the folks that have a lesser net worth may want to go back and revisit that because they may have done planning, thinking there was a tax at a million dollar level, and now it's been doubled, right in terms of that that threshold. The other thing is the cliff was eliminated. So in other words, there is no back to dollar one if you exceed two million dollars. Mm-hmm. It's only assets after two million dollars that are taxed, which exactly. is good news for yes. you know most most taxpayers in the in the Commonwealth.
2: yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of opportunity and makes you need to go back and look at your documents and right. talk to your planner because in Massachusetts has a funny thing about portability. So the federal estate tax exemption is portable where that means just means if your spouse dies and didn't actually have assets in their their name, yeah. yeah. You still get their exemption. That doesn't happen in Massachusetts. That's
1: right. So yeah. your
2: spouse did not have
1: further, no. exactly. Yeah.
2: So if your spouse didn't have a million or now two million dollars in their name, you've lost their exemption.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you might want to start thinking about trying to move. You know.
1: Yeah, and for folks that seriously
2: have... and talk to your advisor and your uh, attorney about is if it's your you know are your assets structured appropriately.
1: Well, that brings me to my last question, which is what kind of expert advice would you recommend for individuals or couples aiming to optimize their estate planning and really even retirement savings? We talked about the the changes to the retirement law in this current tax environment. What would you give them in terms of advice?
2: Yeah. You really need to sit down with your financial advisor and go over a financial plan in detail. Mm. Plan out future cash flows, future goals, What does your ideal life look like? What are the what ifs? What could happen? Mm -hmm. What, you know, your kids, what do you see that? What do you want to have access to liquidity for? What do you want to plan for? And that's what your advisor is there for. Now they can run different simulations and different models and stress test it to start giving you that peace of mind before you start making any significant gifting.
1: Okay, great. I think it's so true. And would echo those comments, Shannon, Thank you so much for your insights. It's always very helpful having you on the podcast and find it extremely educational and go away inspired to talk to clients and bring these ideas to them. So thank you.
2: Thank you, James. It's always fun being on the podcast.
1: Uh, To our listeners, thanks for participating and and for being with us on this podcast. For more specific questions that you might have, we encourage you to reach out to us at any time at palacecapitaladvisors.com or uh, you can give us a call here at our office. As a reminder, any advice that we talk about in this podcast is really meant to be general in nature and educational, not specific to any individual. Each individual, as Shannon just said a moment ago, should really speak to his or her financial advisor and get advice that's customized to them. We'll see you next time at the Palace Perspectives podcast. Thanks very much. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Shannon.
2: Thank you.
0: The preceding information is for general educational purposes only. It's not intended to be investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal situation. Any decision about investing should be undertaken only after careful consideration of the investment's risks, costs, liquidity or lack thereof, and the investor's time frame. Please remember that past performance may not be indicative of future results. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product referred to directly or indirectly in this newsletter or podcast will be profitable or equal any corresponding indicated historical performance levels. The investment advice is offered through Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, our registered investment advisor.